Welcome to the Triclinium, a podcast named after the three-sided table used in the Lord's Supper, where you are invited to join the three of us as we think through matters of Christian faith, practice, and community. My name is Nate Lead, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jacob Hawley and Eric Burgers, and today we will be continuing our discussion of the Apostles' Creed. I believe last episode we uh, talked about the first and managed our way into the second stanza, and I think we're going to pick up by... uh, having a light reading. Uh, We'll read through the Apostles' Creed, and then we'll start with the second stanza. So I'll kick it it to y'all. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I got a haircut today uh, (laughs) that I am not a fan of, uh, so I'm coming to terms with that. Uh, I look look like uh, a cue ball. Somebody rounded oh, my head no. out quite a bit, and uh, it's it's not, yeah, if you can see, we're doing a Zoom call so they can see, and maybe I'll include a picture in the show notes. It doesn't man, look bad, really... Jacob. It doesn't look bad. Well, I'm glad. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, who, I feel like- Who called you a cue ball? Man? Who called you a cue ball? Me. I called me a cue oh. ball, because I feel like I'm a cue ball. Gotcha. Um, this is the second time this has happened to me um and both times it has happened with a woman at great clips who has uh metal clippers and it's gotten to the point now where i feel like if i hear the metal clippers i start sweating like no please don't do this again not again pardon me for asking what other kind of clippers exist (laughs) plastic clippers (laughs) Uh, well yeah yeah i think i think it's the guards it's the it's the type of guards that they use but i could be wrong i don't know oh when you say clippers you're talking about like the shaver like the razor yeah, okay. Yeah. When you, I thought when you say clippers, you're you're talking about scissors, basically. That's oh no, okay. that makes more like, sense. Yeah, they're using like those pattern cutting like, ones that they use in preschools for cutting certain I was like, shapes. I was like, I, am un- <laughs> I was like, I am unaware of any other kind of scissors that are not <laughs> metal. Yes. Yeah, I look like um, I look like. Uh, Chris Evans's character in The Gray Man, like the except for I haven't shaved That's my who it goatee is. Yeah. to just do the the mustache, right? Uh, but I'm thinking about it, and I have a wedding to go to tomorrow, so mm. uh, I think that'd be funny to show up. And just so like, you must go full mustache, <laughs> full mustache, just with the dad stash. Well, it, yeah. no, with you it would be mustachio. It looks. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would. Um, I would look like I was I was born in a different era. Um, in a, probably a worse era. Um, so, anyways. Anyways, we sh- Eric, how are you? I'm doing good. Um, had an all day class today, so I'm, I'm a little bit tired. I might not speak as much, but um, school's been good. Work's been good. It's, life is a little chaotic. the The semester started here, so I, I'm like terribly busy at the moment. So I'm trying to mm. keep my head above water a little bit, if I'm being honest, but. So for everybody um, who doesn't know, Eric is a full-time seminary student. He's also a husband and a new father. So he's got his hands full. Uh, but Eric, are, are all day Saturday classes normal? Or no. is that, it's an abnormal class? It's Yeah, it's a style of class. So it's, it's called a modular class. Basically, the way it works is two days, literally two days in the semester are full all-day classes. So for me, this weekend was Friday and Saturday. And then the entire rest of the course is online. So, mm, gotcha. so it's an eight-week course, two days in person, rest online. It's 
it allows me to do full-time work at the same time as well. So that that's kind of why I pick those styles at the moment. Yeah, that's really nice. That's cool. Yeah. So Yeah, if I were to jump into seminary, that's the kind of class I would want to do. Yeah, you get... Yeah. Got to make money, man. It's it's essential. So <laughs> kind of uh, since Briar came, that's kind of been the, the style I've been forced to choose a little bit. I'm happy to do it, of course, but um, yeah. it was not initially my original intent. So, um, mm. But anyways, let, let's get into the Apostles' Creed. I'll, I'll give it a read through here and then we can discuss. Well, before you do that, you should tell you should tell the audience what you said to us about Briar, this interesting thing about Briar. Oh, yeah, the other day he started smiling. So uh, it's my understanding yeah. they're not, he's about a month and a half old now. And it's my understanding they're not supposed to do that until they're three. So uh, my son is number one and he beats everybody else's sons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and to be clear, three months, not three years old. Did I like, say three years? You just said three. And I was like, oh, that'd be. <laughs> be crazy oh, your kid doesn't smile till they're three years old yeah uh, not three years old though. freak of nature child eric jump in read read the apostles creed for us all right i'll start with the first stanza over again i believe in god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth i believe in jesus christ his only begotten son our lord who was conceived by the holy spirit born of the virgin mary suffered under pontius pilate was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall judge he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That's good. So, a- amen, amen, amen. amen. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, what are your guys' initial thoughts? Uh, so, like like we had said, we're picking up in stanza two here. Uh, I think we kind of like gave a brief run through of the whole stanza, and then did a deeper look at the first part of it in the last episode. So. Um, mm. If you guys have any more thoughts about the first part, feel free, but we could also move on to the second as well if you guys are ready. So what's your guys' thoughts? So I have a I have a quick note, just a, just a thought on the Virgin Mary, born of the Virgin Mary. Um, it dawned on me the other day that Eve's fruit is the one that plunges the world into darkness. And Mary's fruit is the one that brings life to the world. Um, I don't know if there's like a full-on, you can make a full-on comparison, because obviously they're different types of fruit. But I don't know. Every once in a while you see one of those things where there's like a pairing, or like an interesting parallelism, and it's like, hmm, mm-hmm. there might be something there. Um, and, you know, it's often that the seed or the fruit is, is used um, as a euphemism for, for ch- like, childbearing in the scriptures. And so... Mm-hmm. You know, the, the 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 fruit of Mary is the fruit that counteracts the fruit of Eve. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's well said. One is one is given and one's taken. S- spoke, so. Spoken like a very good 
uh, Orthodox or Roman Catholic. <laughs> Jacob, well done. I'm, I, yes. No. Well, that's what I am. No, but what I'll say... That, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I do think it's important to maintain those types of words uh, within Protestantism itself. But uh, yeah. aside from the point... Um, one thing I do want to note there that I thought of as you mentioned that, Jacob, is um, because of, of of various traditions and their approach towards Mary, I do think that there is sort of almost a fear, really, of, of touching Mary in any sort of way within Protestantism yeah. itself. And so I have no problem with mm-hmm. what you said uh, and making that connection between the parallelism of Eve and, and Mary. Um, so I, I would want to encourage, you know, Protestants, we can refer to Mary in, in different ways, uh, and still disagree with some of the further theology that comes out of, uh, say Roman Catholic Mariology. But, uh, mm-hmm. I do think that is an important parallel that you could make here within this creed. Yeah. I think it might help to almost de-particularize Mary in the same way that we might de-particularize Moses or David, um, these were real people with real lives and real faith, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not why we revere them. That's not why... We, it's, it's Rather, it's the part that they play in redemptive history, mm. right? Um, we don't... Like, Moses killed somebody, right? So there were, he had some dark spots in his life as well. Yes. Um, and I think it's important to recognize that certain people almost have a dual role where they have one they have one aspect of their life that is their own, you know, almost, you could say their own personality, their own quirks. And this often happens in scripture, like very broken and um, or like kind of uh, twisting stories uh, for very, very central people. Um, but then they also play a role that God, you could say that God chooses them or God, um, God anoints them for a certain purpose. So like David being the, the counteracting to Saul and the, and the one through whom the messianic line would begin. Um, Mary, the one through whom the, the Savior would be born. Moses, the one whom uh, would lead the people out of Israel and, and would begin the law. Like there's these, these quintessential roles that God almost bestows upon certain people. And I think that it's okay to... Um, to revere those roles and to and to see them for, to, for for what they are, without particularizing it to like you know, the the person themselves too much. Like we're not glorifying Moses because he's Moses. We're glorifying Moses because God chose Moses, right? Like there's a does that make sense? Am I saying does that make any sense? I think so. Yeah. Um. You're you're highlighting the importance of, uh. God's free choosing to use individuals for his glory uh, in redemptive history. Mm-hmm. And in turn, that brings greater glory to God uh, for what he's done uh, within history mm-hmm. itself. And I think that's an important mm-hmm. point to make. I wouldn't disagree with anything you said. I I didn't hear anything I would disagree with. Yeah, I Good. think... Uh, well, well, he's tired, so... <laughs> yeah, I am tired, so maybe I just skipped over Maybe you said some yeah. heresy he, and I just skipped over it. Yeah, but... he, he'll listen back and go, hold on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jacob, yeah, what I hear in that is that ultimately, uh, especially with biblical characters, and I think that uh, this might be intentional, but we see uh, the best parts or the parts of the 
the story of biblical characters, uh, the best parts of them and their story ultimately is when God intervenes. And so Moses is a good example of, uh, you know, a, a broken man who ultimately ended up murdering somebody. And, you know, we can, uh, we, we could debate the specifics of that, but, you know, Moses becomes a central figure in the story when, uh, when God commands him and when God empowers mm-hmm. him to be a leader that he's called to be. Because he's in exile, you know, he, he's exiled himself from Egypt in the wilderness and then God empowers him, and that is that's what changes him and makes him into the central figure of the story. When he goes back to Pharaoh, him and Aaron uh, mm-hmm. fighting for the people of Israel, and so, so in the same way, you know, we can look at Mary, and uh, we can look at a, a situation where a, uh, a young teenage girl ultimately, you know, is, uh, you know, she's wed to Joseph, or you know, to is. Joseph's fiance, so they're not married yet, but going to be, and then she's pregnant, and you know that's like a, a horrible situation to be in, especially in this cultural moment that they found themselves in. Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, God turns that around for good. And so the the best part of the story is when God intervenes, and how God can change uh, a bad situation or a bad person into a good situation, or changes it for His purpose, uh, ultimately to carry out His redemptive mission in the world mm-hmm. yeah and and even you could say this upstream is a uh it's an outpouring of a, of a much broader um salvific principle that the reformed take very seriously which is unconditional election that it doesn't matter you, it's it's not who you are that that um there's no- your your merit your character it's not any of that 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 uh, decides how God will use you. It's God who decides how God will use you, mm-hmm. and so it's you know that He will use very very broken people. He will He will elect the the thief on the cross um, to to proclaim the witness of of the the crucified Messiah. Um, he He is not particular or or um, you know or, or bent by our our characters or our merits. Um, we can't earn our salvation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to go on too deep of a rabbit trail, but I think we're kind of on this theme of God being glorified through um, various different people um, and bringing glory to himself the way he acts in different biblical cares, characters throughout history. So uh, as actually as a part of our, our class this weekend, it was uh, the class was Old Testament one. So we talked about a number of different Old Testament figures uh, in particular, David being one of them, and man, it was just so rich because we we went through the book of Samuel, actually one and two Samuel um, is what I'm referencing here, and kind of just seeing how uh, David starts from sort of this lowly place. You know, he's the last son in line. He's a shepherd boy, um, a boy at that when we first are introduced to him, and. Uh, just sort of this out there figure who has no like high stature or relevance in the beginning. Um, and then on mm-hmm. the opposite end, there's Saul, who is the first anointed king of Israel that God has chosen and appointed himself. Mm-hmm. And as you work through the book, you kind of see that there's a theme uh, that the professor argued that I think he's spot on 
that as the mighty who do works of wickedness will be brought low while the lowly are going to be exalted. And David is that mm-hmm. figure what, where Saul, David and Saul fit that category where Saul is brought low because of his wickedness and, uh, in mm-hmm. his broken, his broken heart. Whereas David is exalted, but I want to highlight David real quick because, uh, there's that point in the story that everybody knows with David's story where he falls into sin and commits adultery sure. with Bathsheba. And what's so significant about it is that David ends up becoming who he was running from in the first place in that. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's exalted Ooh. in the story just as Saul is brought low. But as he comes mm. to this place of exaltation where God is doing great things through him, he does essentially in a similar manner, not the exact same way, brings himself back down low by doing the very thing that he was running from in grievous sin against God. Now, ultimately, David is restored, um, and I think all of us would, have, would affirm that, and he's uh, mm-hmm. repented in a, in a glorious type of way. But that's just to say that, like, uh, the reason I highlight this story is uh, it, it further points, just like Mary uh, within the Apostles' Creed, that uh, God does glorious things throughout redemptive people, throughout redemptive history, excuse me, and he does it through people, and he does it in in ways that bring just incredible glory where we look at him and we just say, how great is our God that Mm. he does these things, and he uses just ordinary people that you otherwise probably would just see on the side of the street, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I... Uh, to bring it full circle then in Luke chapter 1 verse 52 the song of Mary one of her lines is he has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble yes right so that's the that's the full circle there is that it's not about um, it's not about who you are your status or I would argue even your merit um, that will that will predetermine whether or not God will use you um, it's God's grace right yeah. god's god's willingness to be exalted through the weak and the um and the broken yeah um and all of these figures you know what what we're trying to i think what we're all trying to get at here is that all of these figures are clear um examples of christ from redemptive hip- history backwards back even to the closest beginnings of time depending on how you date you know the bible uh, but hmm. Moses, Moses and David specifically are in the in New Testament authorship are what's called types of Christ, being that they are historical figures that look a lot like Christ and represent his good qualities and are pointing to him as he comes. But they fall short in certain types of ways. And Christ would be the anti-type, being that he is the ultimate fulfillment of the character traits of these individuals uh but in a in a perfected and perfect type way as as only he being god himself could do um so i don't know that i would call eve and mary a type anti-type uh we could argue over that but um regardless you you could say that eve um is a great allusion to that and how god has restored um women as well um from that 
curse that they suffered in the beginning and is blessing women uh, within the New Testament. And that kind of culminates in, mm-hmm. in uh, Mary as she gives birth to the creator. Yeah. So bring Nick, it, you got anything to add to that? Uh, a little. So yeah, I, I uh, was just going to bring it back to the creed and uh, Jacob, when you mentioned Eve, uh, it, it just kind of triggers something in my mind. And so, you know, our first stance is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And then we skip to Jesus. And so it's kind of interesting because in this creed, and I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts about this, but there's no reference to, oh gosh, <laughs> there's no reference to, You're all right? yeah, I just kind of like tripped over my, my words. <laughs> Sorry, all listeners. <laughs> you're good, you're good. It sounds like I sneezed a little, so. Gesundheit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's, in the beginning of this creed, there's no reference to the downfall of humanity or the introduction of sin into the world. And so what's interesting mm-hmm. is, because two thoughts on that, so, so there's no uh, reference to the introduction of sin to our world and to humanity, but then it also uh, references the forgiveness of sins and talks about Jesus' <laughs> work on the cross. And mm-hmm. so it, it's mm-hmm. almost like it is implied or it assumes that you know this already, about it so uh what what would you guys say to that because that that was something i was thinking through in this regard this actually leads me into the the quote that i was going to read that i think is helpful um for the listeners in case they actually in case they're just interested in creeds in general uh i've i found a, a a great resource that um it's it's pretty simple it's it's a nice introduction it's called creeds confessions and catechisms it's uh, by Chad Van Dixhorn. <clears throat> Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. And before he gets into, he goes through various creeds throughout the book, um, throughout church history as well, and, and various statements of faith. Um, but right before he does each creed, he gives a nice little uh, kind of synopsis of the creed and historical introduction to it. And he makes an interesting point about the second stanza, which I think is in step with where Nate was going here. Um, and he says towards, uh, towards the end of what he wrote, um, this is what the church confesses in the apostles creed that we are saved by Jesus from Jesus. And so I thought that was super significant. And I think what he's getting at there is the last part of the second stanza where he says, from there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And that comes right after he says he was ascended to heaven uh, and, and essentially gives the, the, the biblical message that Christ defeats death and sin on the cross. And then from there he's judging the living and the dead. And so I, I thought that was super significant, a really interesting insight into the creed. Um, I'm in st- I'm in agreement with that, and and I actually have a a quote mm. from scripture that I think th- would support that as well. If you don't mind me reading real quick too, definitely um, do it. Yes. So I gotta make sure I got the one I was talking about. Oh, it's just Romans five one where it says, "Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ." So the idea that we now have peace with God through Jesus, but that would imply that there was not peace with God beforehand. 
and Jesus being God himself saves us from that, that enmity that was there between uh, humanity and God beforehand. And so God himself yeah. enters creation to save us from God himself, who otherwise would have condemned us for our sins. So God gets all of the glory, all of the praise, because he did the work all himself. And of course, we, we're responsible to for our actions and to uh, repent of sin and, and look to Christ for forgiveness. Uh, I'm not trying to say that we're not, but I am trying to point out the glory of God as he works within redemptive history um, and, and how that shows up in the creed. I, so I'm hesitant about what he said. Okay. I like, so here's, I'll tell you one thing I like about what he said. Okay. And then I'll tell you why I'm hesitant. So the first, I'll tell you why I like it. Um, what I like firstly is that it doesn't say Jesus, according to the creed, we are saved by Jesus from the father Mm. because that introduces a strange split in the Trinitarian union Mm -hmm. so that Jesus becomes this person that like loves us and wills our good. And the father has to like restrain his anger from us or has to, has to beat somebody, right? It becomes like the abusive kid model yeah, uh, or abusive parent model. Yeah. So I, I'm not a fan of that at all. I think it, it actually has Trinitarian, um, it has consequences for Trinitarianism that, that are anti-Nicene. Um, so I like the fact that they're saying it's, it's it, in both places they're putting Jesus as the one um, who's, who's in primary action. Mm-hmm. What I'm, the one thing I'm, I would be hesitant in that phrasing, and I understand what they're trying to go for, like what, what God must do to humanity he chooses to do to himself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like that's, that's a good way to state maybe the atonement in, in, while maintaining that Trinitarian unity. Um, without dividing the persons of the Trinity. But I would maybe say to say that we have to be saved from God, I think situates God in a place, um, let's say, it takes evil almost out of the picture so that we're not saved from sin or death, we're saved from God. Ultimately, our problem was with God. Where I understand, like, they're both kind of true, mm-hmm. they're, but they both need to be said, right? Like, we need to maintain that it is because it is because we were sinners that we must be saved from God. Mm-hmm. Um, our unity to our sin was the issue. It's not that just, like, God hates us, right? Yeah. Um, cause, so it, I, I think it's the, the importance is, is stating the true enemy, which is sin and death mm-hmm. for us yeah um, i think and not making god into that enemy yeah i th- i think um I, I i certainly hear your concern here jacob and and i'm not disagreeing with you in anything um but i do think i would still be in favor of, in favor of saying from god um because i i think again i get where you're coming from but I think what you're saying is beyond the purview of what somebody who would say that is is actually meaning by that. Because I don't think anybody who's saying from God is is disagreeing that uh, sin isn't a problem either. I think think the the purpose of that kind of statement is to highlight the authority of God 
um, over judgment and and the fact sure. that he sure. is he is sovereign in the sense that he is the one deciding who who lives and who dies, uh, who is just and who is not. And so um, it's it's putting a high emphasis upon God uh, as the one who, because of his character, has the ability to do that. Um, I don't think it's I don't think somebody who's saying that is trying to say and therefore uh, sin does not matter. We it's us against God, you know. But right, right. Um, I I I just yeah I, I I hear that. I think the people that say that definitely understand what they're saying. Mm-hmm. I would be cautious of those who hear it. Sure, yeah, and I, I what, think that's the yeah. responsibility of the minister in that situation, whoever's yep. saying that. So I, of course, person and context matters who you're saying that to. You can't totally. just say that to anybody, and that goes with a whole lot of different things in Christian doctrine and practice. You know, it's not just that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we got to be able to meet people where they're at and allow the spirit to speak uh, as we are engaging people in different ways. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm still, just as a summary, I'm still in favor of people saying, saying it that way, but I do hear your concern that we ought to be cautious who we're saying it to. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I have no, I guess I have no issues with the theological contents of the statement. I would just be, yeah, just careful about phrasing. And I think, um, like I said, I I appreciate the emphasis that Jesus is both the judge and the and the sacrifice, so that we don't divorce the persons of the Godhead from each other. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I also, you know, part of me also wants to push back a little bit um, and say that. Oh man, I, I might get in trouble for saying this, but I think I'm going to say it anyways. Um, I think is it Chad Van Dexhorn? No, it's not his name. No. Um, <laughs> tell me if I'm wrong here, but I do think for some people, um, you are God is your enemy, in the sense that when we're in our most na- like. Um, Romans, I'm forgetting the chapter, but I'm looking at Romans 8 right now, where it says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so what I'm getting at in thinking here is that there is a nature of hostility. Now, you could say that God is not hostile to you. And in a sense, I would say that's true. Um but what do we do when we get to judgment day? Are we going to say that God is not your enemy and that um, he he's not going to rightly condemn sin and the sinner for that matter? Um, I, I know that's kind of a hard-hitting topic there, but I really I think this is important to discuss and to hope and to hopefully work out a little bit. Yeah, this is interesting because uh, it's it's almost a question or a statement that is said for kind of shock value. So that that's kind of what it I is. get out of uh, that that uh, uh, Chad Van Dixhorn quote. Um, also, you know, is, is and what he's saying is referring to the creed and what the, what the creed says. 
So mm-hmm. I, I know he's not making a, a statement about broader theological or broader Christian theology, but more so looking at the creed and looking at the statements within the creed. And so because the uh, Apostles' Creed doesn't have reference to original sin or to uh, the downfall of humanity in the creation narrative, uh, that that is kind of a, a shocking statement to say that that Jesus is the one who saves us from the judgment of Jesus. So that that is a very shocking statement and, and uh, something that, you know, we could continue to dive in on. But, uh, but I, I also want to say, too, that I, I think both you guys are are correct in some way. You know, I, I think that Jacob is, is trying to say that we, we need to hold the relationship between humanity and God uh, in careful balance with the realities that we read in, in uh, the creation story and the, and the place of sin uh, in the story. The place of free will, too, you know, that, that Eve made a decision uh, to go against what God had said. And, and thus kick this whole thing off. But, but that, that is, a, a, Jacob, I'm, I'm curious, you, you seem to kind of react when Eric asked if, if God is some people's enemy. Do you have any? Yeah, I mean, I would say, I think Eric made a move that I would make, which is, um, we are host- we are God's enemy. We, we, God is our enemy, meaning we have made him into someone who is contrary to us mm-hmm. because we've chosen life outside of him which is not life so god is contrary to uh to what you could say is is opposite him right um if you are in line with god he's not or if you're if you're willing to live life in his life um then i don't think he is your enemy Mm-hmm. But I think there are cer- certain people who have attempted to root their lives apart from God, and that makes God into their enemy, but it originates in them. So God is not an enemy of anybody apart from their own making of him yes. into yeah. uh, into their enemy. So th- I think that's important. That it's like we want to maintain that primarily God is love. Yes. Right? So we're not. Yes. We're not forgetting that God is for humanity, that, 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 that the gospel is good tidings towards men, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that God isn't against us, um, at least not on his own. But we, we, I think, by being against him, have made him against us. Yeah. Right, like it, in the same way that um, if I turn around, if I'm walking with somebody and I turn around and I begin walking at them, I have... I have, I'm going to run it. They're going to run into me, but not because they did anything different. God hasn't changed his mind about humanity. We have changed our mind about God. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. I, um, I think that's right. And step, I, your, your words made me think of a, of yet another passage, uh, Philippians three eighteen. for many walk of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. So mm-hmm. there is clearly enemies of God in some sense. But what's important mm-hmm. is, is in in that text, and I think there was another one too, but I'm, I'm not going to scroll. Uh, oh, here was the original verse I was, I was going to read uh, in the beginning. Uh, Romans 5.10, mm-hmm. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, 
through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Um, so there mm-hmm. clearly, mm-hmm. there clearly is a enemy distinction that is made in throughout scripture. I, it's in a lot of different books in a lot of different places. Um, mm-hmm. But Jacob, I think you hit it right on the head. And it also made me think of C.S. Lewis's famous quote that hell is locked from the inside. Um, yeah. And, and I wouldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, it, it, you made an important distinction that, uh, as first John also says, you know, God is love. Um, we do want to keep that intact. We believe that with all our heart mm-hmm. and we believe that God is for people and for creation in the sense that he desires to see every man saved um if it were so a reality but of course that's that's not an entire reality and so there is a sense that because god is good because he is just most importantly um some have made themselves to be enemies and and we use that kind of phraseology because it it pokes the conscience and makes you realize um it pokes the conscience sorry i said conscious <laughs> but um <laughs> it really does because you know people if they're if they're in their natural state if they truly are unrepentant they're not a believer they're not believing in god i can almost guarantee the first thought to that statement is going to be well not me i'm not an enemy of god it's not me <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I'm just living my life. I'm a good person. You know, I do good things. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I do good things here and there. Um, this guy's crazy. I'm not an enemy of God. And mm-hmm. that just completely ignores pretty much the entire message of Scripture as it's laid out. Is that, no, um, our sins have merited us death, in a sense. It has merited merited us judgment from god because we have not lived up to his standard and we actively are rebelling against him and we do this likely on a daily basis but the beauty of what we're saying here is that god himself entered creation as a man lived the life that we couldn't live so that if we trust in him and the perfect life that he lived in our place that we will have eternal life because he merited it for us and not us for ourselves. So I, I went on for I, a while there, but <laughs> please continue. I, I think I think it's also important to, to maintain the um to for, for especially for people in our modern context who might say, I'm a good person. I do, or I don't do anything overtly wrong, uh, at least to my own conscience, so I'm, you know, I'm fine. Um, I'm not the one that's the enemy of God. I think it's important to maintain that the, the, the primary breach that makes us enemies of God is not that we do sins in particular. It's not like because I slept with my girlfriend or because I, you know, stole a candy bar or because I told a lie one time. Like, that's not really the core issue. The core issue is not consenting to, to have God as your God. It's, it's, to, it's decide, deciding to be your own God. Mm. That's, it's, the, it's a relational breach. It's, um, it's a plastering of evil 
on the face of God, basically, and saying, his way isn't the right way, mine is, mm-hmm. um, which basically condemns God. So you become, you, you do, you make God into your enemy. You literally do so. You say, he does not have my best interest in, at heart. He is not for me, and therefore I will be my own God. Um, that's the way in which we make God our enemy. And so, like, that's important. It's not just like, because otherwise we get into this thing of like, well, what, you know, it's, it's, it's not legalism. It's not like, oh, well, you, you know, you took the Lord's name in vain when you were five, so now you're damned to hell. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's not the, the, the center. The center is you can live as perfectly in line with the law as you want to live, but if you don't consent to have God as your God, if you do not submit to God as God, then that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Then you're still, you're destined, to, you, you have, you've, uh, you've separated yourself from his life. Yeah. What do you guys think? Am I, am I yeah, no, I, I think I agree in there? part. I would, I would, I don't know. I feel like I want to push back, but I will, I will push back for the sake of conversation. I, because I don't think what you're saying, or at least you're not trying to say is that individual sins don't matter. Um, no, it's just that they're secondary. Thank you. Okay. I think that clarifies it for me because I, it, yeah. to me at least it came off a little bit as well you know um i can get away with sins here and there uh as long as i say i have faith oh. in, in christ you know no where somebody sins it is because they have not consented to to have god as their god mm-hmm. that's the primary disorder and if you are um let's say if you find yourself sinning, it's a symptom of the problem upstream, which is your lack of submission to God. Yeah. Um, the heart. Yeah. That doesn't. The, yeah. The heart is the, the problem. The center of your being and what you corely believe, whether you're conscious about it or not. Yeah. Right. That doesn't mean that you can. Like, so, so what I would say is it's impossible to have a heart that submits to God and also sin. Mm. Those are not. Meaning, like, so your, your individual sins, you're sleeping with your girlfriend or you're. Um, you're stealing the candy bar or whatever else we want to throw on that line of uh, checklist options. That's, those are all symptoms. And if you were submitted to God, you wouldn't do those things. Mm. Um, the, but those aren't the problem in themselves. That's not the key, right? It's, it's Paul saying that mm. the, the law was given so that we might come to, we might become aware of our sin, right? Yeah. Um, because it, it's, it's almost the, it's the um, diagnostic tool. Of mm. like, hey, you got a problem, you know, like, hey, you have a fever. Yeah, we, there's something else going on, right? No, that's a great clarification. That that was very well said. Yeah, I'm I'm in step with you there. Nate, Nate do you, you have any further comments? Uh, otherwise, we probably could move on with <laughs> the rest of the Apostles' Creed. I would imagine. Yeah, I got some other ideas. Yeah, well, uh, I'll say one thing real quickly, and and you know, as we talk about kind of this, uh, this language of of god as an enemy uh and this battle between uh humanity and god you know they i believe that there is a battle going on and i think that primarily that battle is between the individual and with with god uh in the way and it's over ironically it's over you it's over the individual so so you and everything in your uh in your biology and in your body is fighting for your well-being so that's why our body has developed a fight-or-flight response that's why we seek 
food, water, shelter, and comfort. That's why we build these amazing civilizations that uh, have memory foam pillows and electricity and all these things. We our, our body is fighting for comfort and for these things. And so um, the the spiritual battle, though, is over uh, is really over kind of selfishness. And so it the original sin came in because uh, Adam and Eve both chose to um, to put themselves above God to, to say, well, God, God's pretty good, you know, but I think I have a pretty good idea of things too. And hey, we can become like God. So let's, let's do that. You know, let, let's elevate ourselves. Uh, and it's, it, it's selfishness at its core. And so, uh, you know, as everything kind of points us inward, God is asking, Hey, we, like, I'm at, like, I'm reaching out to you. Like, like, give me your hand. Like I, I'm the way to, to truth and to life and to beauty and to goodness. Like, like grab my hand, you know? And we're like, no, I like, I, I just want to stay with me because I, I feel safe with me. Like I'm, I'm going to choose me. I'm not going to choose God. Uh, and so really it's it, just to kind of, I guess, put some more plain language to it. You know, it, it's, uh, the spiritual battle happening is over, uh, you and it, it, it is ultimately about selfishness. And I, I, I have a verse I'd like to read and you guys catch mm-hmm. me if I'm reading this out of context, but it's Matthew sixteen twenty five. Uh, the ESV says, for whoever would save his life, selfishness would choose his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, this is Jesus speaking. Uh, so whoever would give up his life for the sake of Jesus will find it. And so mm. uh, it, it, to illustrate this point uh, in plain language, uh, the the gospel is about uh, denying yourself is about denying the the selfishness that exists within you. The everything that says, "Well, what about me?" Uh, the gospel is, man. It's it's not about you. It's about the goodness that uh, that exists within God, the truth that um, that is in Jesus, and that that Jesus is the way to life, and and that us, if we listen to ourselves, we will ultimately lead to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's present actually. I don't, for, forgive me if you actually read this, Nate, but right after that verse, I think, is when Jesus says um, those those uh, same people, he's saying to those same people, um, you have to take up your cross and follow me, which essentially means kill your, yourself, your self-will, your self-interest. And then I was going to add further to that, too, um, because when Jesus summarizes the Ten Commandments, essentially— and he says that um, the greatest commandment is to love God, which is what Jacob was saying, and and to tie it with what Nate's saying even further, the second is like it, uh, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so isn't that beautiful that when when we're doing what Jacob says and we have God as our God, and I, I believe that's by God's own power as well that that reality happens, uh, when that comes into view, um, it doesn't just turn it back inwards into ourself and now look at us, we're such great people um, and we do such great things. It actually extends itself outward into love of your neighbor and to love of those who are around you, care for those who are around you and and service to those who are around you. And so I, I just find that beautiful in that like, the problem is individual 
and and how we approach God individually. And as God solves that problem through his own power, it changes, it, it takes our, us from away from ourselves and then puts it to use outwards into others. And I, I just think that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. It's it's the I, it's the way. The reason we think that's beautiful is it's because it's the way we were all we were always supposed to live. Yes, and it's a glimmer into that paradise. The um, I think the key. I, sometimes I think we can become so obsessed though with the um, with the like denial of self that we become almost not not even ascetic, but like um, just detached. Right, like as if that's the the key is just detachment, um, and like you're saying, Eric, it's it's opening outwards, right? It's mm. it's um, recognizing uh, relationship as the key to life, um, because it's the 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 error I think that Jesus is trying to point out by saying, you know, those who try to keep their lives or to hold on to their lives will lose it, is in recognizing that you you don't own your life by yourself. Mm. Life exists in relationship to the life. So if you have life, the only way you can do that is through relationship to Jesus. If you do not consent to live in relationship to Jesus and doing what he says to do, right? Oh, trusting him as God. You have death. Then you will not actually have life. You, yeah. you, you're, you're holding on to something that's rotting, right? Um, and the... Um, so I think the, the, the beauty of the gospel is that when we decide to relate to Christ as God and to, uh, to relate to him as our life, and we give up our own life for that, right? Like the, what we think we have um, for that, um, Christ takes up our cause. So God takes up our cause. So it's, it, you know, we don't have to fend for ourselves anymore. Mm. We're, not, we're not on our own. Um, without God, we are on our own, and no one else is going to look after us. Yeah. So we do have to look out for ourselves. <laughs> and we're not going to win that God battle either. Yeah. No, no, yeah. it will we, take us. We would, we would lose, yeah. Yeah, but, but, but because God has decided to take up our case, as long as we trust that he is the life, we will have it. We will save it, right? And we give up our own. Um, because that self-preservation, that's... I mean, it sounds honestly, it sounds a lot like evolutionary theory, right? The um, it's Darwinism, it's survival of the fittest. It's I have to look out for me, mm -hmm. um, and whatever will keep me alive. And so, as kind of a side note, the you know the debates around creation and evolution. I don't really take a stance on all of that, but if evolution is the case, it cannot be the norm of creation. It has to be the disease. Evolution mm -hmm. cannot be its own end because mm. that is self-preservation that is the the selfishness mm. um it's it doesn't richard dawkins call it the selfish gene right like isn't that the whole idea so you know to, to open yourself outwards requires you to almost abandon um what you might call the self either your own selfishness um or the disease of evolutionary fitness you could say in yeah. all of its many uh axes yeah, definitely. I don't. I, uh, I would love to dig into uh, the uh, creation versus 
uh, evolution debate with you guys. That would be really. Uh, uh, yeah, don't, uh, don't you would you would for you would force my hand to do some deeper study. I'm like, Absolutely. Yeah. I'm like an inch deep in like a whole lot of topics. Them that being one of them. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, yeah, Re- real quick, uh, Eric, the the verse that you referenced came right before the one that I referenced, and so they actually go hand in hand. So I, I wanted to read those two together. Yeah, and so it says, it, it's Matthew 16, 24, uh, 24 and 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And then verse 25, for mm-hmm. whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Mm-hmm. And so to touch on what Jacob, you were talking about with, with this denialism, because you know, I've, I've definitely fallen into that of like, oh, deny yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross, you know, like, uh, like you're, you're nothing like you're, you know, you know, the, the way of the cross is the only thing and, and forget about, you know, yourself. It, that mentality of constantly denying does not lead to love. It leads to apathy. It leads to a rejecting of the world. It doesn't lead to a concern for the world. Yes. So yes. When, when Jesus says, take up my cross and follow me, taking up your cross and following Jesus is leading to Golgotha to the hill Mm -hmm. it's leading to the place where christ poured out himself uh for the world where the ultimate act of love uh uh, Mm -hmm. was dealt and Mm -hmm. um so as christians you know it's uh we don't strive to be apathetic people you know we strive to have uh we, we we bring our cup before the lord and and the lord fills it with his goodness and with his love and with his peace so that not only can we have a full cup, but that it pours out to others, uh, in, in the concern that we have for our fellow, uh, brothers and sisters, not only in the faith, but outside the faith, that we would see the real life consequences of being apart from God. Uh, every single one of us has our, our, uh, you know, our, everything that we struggle with before we come to Christ. Uh, and then even after we come to Christ and, and that, uh, sanctification process, but, we all know what it's like to be without God. Uh, and then once we have God, the ultimate goodness and the ultimate redemption, uh, restoration to uh, the relationship that God created us for, um, you know, we can't help but want to pour out, but want to strive for human flourishing to combat the, the issues that we see around us. And we see that in history as Christians uh, consistently built uh, churches fed the poor, built hospitals and schools and orphanages. You know, these people that have mm-hmm, this incredible mm-hmm. love for for the people around them uh, that ultimately stems from the love that they received from the Lord, mm-hmm. uh, from the sacrifice right. of Jesus. Um, so that that's ultimately what we're striving for. You know, that, that, the, uh, that selfishness, it, it, you know, I, I, especially today, you know, we're so self-focused and we're so focused on how am I doing? I need to check in on me. I need to do self-care, uh, all these things. I need to make sure I'm okay. But right. it's really interesting because when Jesus was at his best was when he was saving humanity. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure it didn't feel mm-hmm. good, but he knew that he knew what would come of it. And so, um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It's kind of a long you, way to just say, let's yeah. not be selfish. <laughs> Even if you, yeah, if you trace the gospels too, like Jesus is constantly being followed by a crowd of people, like, 
of like a big majority of the time everywhere he goes mm-hmm. and you know if if you really like sit and you just think about what's said there like time and again um how would you feel if a giant crowd followed you everywhere you went at all points of the day all the time i would get pretty frustrated after a while but time and time again in most of the gospel accounts it says jesus had compassion on the crowds and so he's consistently Mm -hmm. following that model that nate just laid out that uh he's putting his self-will aside and he takes into account um his neighbor those the people around Mm -hmm. him and he shows compassion instead and Um, heals them too you know and heals them perform miracles feeds them and and uh, heals them miraculously Mm -hmm. you know the the love that he has for his fellow human is undeniable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, guys, we're getting pretty close to time. I think. Uh, do we want to try to wrap up the third stanza there? Uh, I don't know if we want to try to do that or push it to a third episode. Uh, but no, I think we got to go. I I think we got to go to the third episode, man. Oh, you do? Okay. Um, I do. I think we got to. Come on, man. Yeah, I, I know. This is, this so is turning into a surprisingly good conversation. So I, I was going to I was gonna say this, though, because I, I, actually I was going to say as well that I, I think this has been a really productive and, and good conversation, and I appreciate mm-hmm. it from both you guys. And I want to speak to the audience, if, if anybody's listening directly as well, and say that um, all of, uh, this whole conversation that we've had has come from a creed. You know, so if there's if there's any doubt that, you know, the creeds have any sort of use or ability to stir the spirit within God's people, I think this would be it. You know, so uh, just another, in my opinion, an an argument in favor of the creeds that they 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 do something important. Which is why we're going to spend the next 10 episodes. (laughs) (laughs) No. Eric wants Lauren. to be done with the creed so bad. No, I want to be. <laughs> I, I want. I want to be done with the Apostles' Creed. That's <laughs> what I want to be right. done with. Well, listen. I'm only thinking like four or five more episodes, and then I think we'll be done. <laughs> okay. Eric I'm, I'm just the Apostles' Creed. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> the Apostles oh, Creed. Yeah. I mean, we Please thought no. we were going to get the through Nicene the entirety creed. of it, and we only got to the fifth line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And honestly, guys, I still have a ton. Like, I still want to talk about the descent to hell. I know. I want to talk about Pontius Pilate. Uh, I want to talk about the the forgiveness of sins. I want to talk about the 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 holy universal church. Yeah. I mean, guys, there's so much. The resurrection of the body. Come on now. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot. It goes there's all over. Per, perhaps we will go to episode three. Maybe you should close us. Tune then, Jacob. on. <laughs> tune in next time on Creed Reacts. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, well, thanks so much for listening to us today uh, and uh, and thinking with us about the Apostles' Creed. Um, We hope to see you again next time, and as always, may Christ be exalted.